Well, join me now in Luke chapter 5 as we begin a brand new series of messages through the parables of Jesus from Luke's gospel. And we'll get started in a few moments in Luke 5:33. But we've just come out of December, and in the month of December, we were in awe to the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us, that he is the word made flesh, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the crucified and risen Savior. And we would certainly say that Jesus is so much more than just a great teacher. But isn't he a great teacher? There's never been a teacher like him. All of his teachings were flawless and timeless. And those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we want to hang on his every word. We would hardly be followers of Jesus at all if we were not eager to hear what he has to say and also eager to obey what he has to say. And so we're going to take on the teachings of Jesus as we consider these parables. One scholar said this about Jesus's use of parables. He said this, an understanding of parables is essential if one is to understand the teaching of Jesus. Since the parables make up approximately 35% of his recorded sayings, the parables are not merely illustrations for Jesus's preaching. They are the preaching, at least to a large extent, nor are they simple stories. They have been truly described as both works of art and weapons of warfare. So we know that Jesus used a lot of parables. This scholar saying estimated 35% of his teachings in the form of parables. Then we ask the question, why would Jesus do that? Why would he speak so much in parables? In fact, his own disciples asked that very question of him. We're on our way to Luke 5, but listen to Matthew 13. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. So when Jesus used parables, he was doing far more than just giving an analogy or illustrating some point he was making. He did that some. But essentially, he was doing two things simultaneously. On the one hand, he's disclosing some things that were previously hidden to his disciples. He's teaching them unveiling truth to his disciples. But simultaneous to that, he's also hiding some things from those, from those who are hardened in their unbelief. So using a parable, he would give truth to some while blinding others to that same truth. While using parables, he would be giving a blessing to his disciples, but a really a kind of judgment on those who are hardened in their unbelief. So the believer would get the message, but the unbeliever would miss the message. And by the way, even today, people will hear these familiar parables and they think, oh, I know what that's about, and very often miss the point. For example, people can hear the parable of the prodigal son, which we'll get to in the weeks ahead, and they'll get caught up with maybe, I'm looking for a parenting lesson here somehow, or maybe how should I handle my inheritance here? And that's not at all what that, what that parable is all about. So much more is happening in the parables than some people see. Oftentimes, there's much less happening in the parable than some people see as they try to add on layers of things to it beyond what Jesus had in mind. So the key to understanding the parables is understanding what are they about? MacArthur said this, and it's very helpful. He said, all parables are about the gospel. All parables are gospel illustrations. So when it comes to any of these parables, the key to understanding it is understanding of the gospel message itself. 
And further beyond that, another vital key to understanding these parables as Jesus teaches them is what is the context? To what is Jesus responding when he comes back with one of these stories? So we're beginning a series of 17 messages through these parables of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And we're going to find every time these are very relevant for us. They're very helpful for us. In these weeks ahead, we're going to go together as a church family to sit at Jesus's feet and hear him teach with these parables. And you and I are not going to miss the point because we've been exposed to the gospel. We're going to interpret them through the lens of the gospel. So with that introduction to the whole series, let's go now into this first one. I have us in Luke 5. Let's begin together in verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. So here is this parable, really a couplet of them here. And we see that Jesus brings them in as a response to the Pharisees questioning his practice with fasting. The specific question was this, why don't your disciples fast? The disciples of us, Pharisees, they fast. Even John the Baptist's disciples, they're fasting. Why don't yours? Why aren't you religious like we are religious? Why aren't you adopting our expected ways for you? And so Jesus responds to that first, talking about, hey, my coming is like the coming of a groom into a wedding. So in first century Jewish weddings, there was a lot of excitement about the groom showing up. And Jesus said, that's what's happened here. They don't know it yet, but Jesus is announcing to them that the Messiah has come. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of fulfillment. But he said, there is coming a time when I'll be taken away, when the groom will be taken away. He's already foreshadowing, telling them about his upcoming death and his then ascension into heaven after the resurrection. He says, in that time, when the groom's taken away, in that time, they will fast. And we live in that time. And indeed, we do fast. Now, we're on our way to talk about the parables, but the topic of fasting's come up here. Let's talk about it together for a moment. Let's affirm together that fasting is good. Jesus is not against it. He says, my disciples will do this once I've been taken away. And so what is fasting? So this is more than when your doctor tells you you need to fast for some miserable medical tests that you have coming up. We have to do that. But this is a fast for a spiritual reason. Jesus said, we're going to do this after he goes and as we await his return. So a, a reason for a fast spiritually might be when you recognize, you know, I need more of Jesus. I need a closer walk with him. In other words, I need personal revival. I sense that. And so I'm going to employ fasting in addition to my prayer and time in the word. Or when you're seeking victory over some temptation in your life. Or you need help during a time of significant trial in your life. So if you've never fasted, maybe sometime in 2022, as you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he might prompt you this year to fast. 
In my experience, typically when I'm fasting, it's just for a day. So it might, might be this. I'll have dinner at night, but with the plan the next day, I'm not going to have breakfast in the morning. I'm going to fast, and I'm not going to have lunch. But then when the evening comes, when my family's eating, I'll, I'll then break the fast, and I'll eat with them. But during that day, it's a time, every time I'm feeling hungry, which I'll feel hungry a lot in those days, I'm reminding myself, why aren't I eating? Why am I not doing what I typically do? Oh, yeah, I'm fasting for whatever that reason is that I'm going into a fast. It's a way of saying when you're fasting, Jesus, I need you more than food. I desire you more than even food that I really do desire a lot. And so a fast can be an important spiritual reset in your life spiritually. So I recommend it to you. If you're feeling spiritually flat, you feel like, I don't have the, the appropriate passion I ought to have for Jesus as wonderful as I know, I know in my mind, but I, I, need, I need to do something. So I'm going to keep reading the word. I'm going to keep praying, but, but now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. And, you, and God might prompt you to do that, that you might have more of him. Or it might be a time where you're experiencing spiritual bondage. Or maybe you feel like some old sin that used to have you in bondage is starting to encroach on you again. And you, you recognize that, okay, this is, this is becoming more alluring than it should be. So that might be a time where you think, you know what, I'm going to fast tomorrow for that. I'm going to fast that, that, that I would not come under dominion to that again. Here's the beautiful thing. When you're giving up food that your body does need and it craves, when you're fasting, it's a way of taking dominion again over all of your appetites. You're able to say to your body, no, you will not rule over me. Even this very good appetite for food, I'm going to just reestablish dominion over my own appetites. This one and every other appetite in my life. Jesus is Lord over this body, and you get to establish that again through fasting. You know, maybe you're facing some major decision in your life. It's a great time to pull aside and say, Lord, I, I must hear you clearly. And so I'm going to pray as usual. I'm going to read the word as usual, but I'm also going to fast that I might dedicate maybe some more intensity to this time of seeking you. So just a little word on fasting, because Jesus said there's coming a time when his disciples will. We live in that time, just reminding you a great tool to use spiritually. But now to the point of the parable, let's go right back into it. Let's hear again now verses 36 through 38. In that context of why we're not fasting now, he said, he told him a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Again, Jesus is responding to this whole issue. Of why won't your disciples fast? Why won't you do it our way? And Jesus brings up these two analogies here to make the point that that these old things that they're into, not compatible with the new things he's bringing in. He's speaking here now about a new patch can't be sewn into an old item of clothing. And that would have been very familiar to the people hearing that for the first time. They would be people who would be repairing their clothes quite regularly. They didn't have the type of wardrobes that many of us have where you can just pull something from the closet. I'll give this to Goodwill or this one goes to the dump. Uh, they had maybe a couple of changes of clothes. We're going to keep these things in, in use as much as possible. Now, years ago, before tears in your jeans became fashionable, we tried to avoid them as boys. And our moms wanted us to avoid that. But all my elementary friends and I, we all had our jeans on, and they all had permanent grass stains on our knees. Just played outside constantly. And it wasn't long before not just grass stains, but we would all have tears in our jeans. Then one jean company came up with an ingenious idea. It was from Sears. And Sears came up with a brand of jeans called Tough Skins. Anybody remember Tough Skins? And you'd have these different color jeans. You had red, blue jeans, well, blue, you had red jeans, 
green jeans, you had blue jeans, and then they made these corresponding iron-on patches that you could put on a little boy's jeans where you could just iron right on there. It's a great idea, just never really worked very well. Because your jeans would get older, by the time you needed that patch, you put it on there, it didn't match. It was still very clear, you weren't making those jeans look good, just, there's a patch on there. And it wouldn't stay on long, it would kind of begin to peel up on the edges, I recall how it worked in our house. But the effort was good. But the point here that Jesus is making is you don't put a, a new patch of cloth onto an old garment. But then he gives a second analogy to make the same point, using wineskins here. And of course, you know that in the first century Jewish context, wine was a very important part of their culture. And instead of having bottles, typically, they would also have these animal skins that would contain this. So whether goat skin or lamb skin would be used. One person described it this way. He said, wine is an interesting thing. Simply put, when grape juice ferments, a chemical reaction produces a gas that expands, turning the juice into wine. Jesus reminded his listeners that if the new wine was put into dry, rigid pouches, the gas would expand and burst the old, stiff wineskins. And so Jesus you just don't do that. And those who are listening to this, understanding their culture, understanding how they used to store that wine, they would immediately go, yeah, of course, nobody would do that. We're having to catch on because we use bottles and cans for the things that, that we would drink. But Jesus is making a much bigger point than about clothing and wine here. Jesus is making this point with those two parables, that he is ushering in something brand new. Like you said here, coming in like a groom, this is a time of celebration. The Messiah is now on the scene and he's bringing in, catch it, a new covenant. Everything is going to be different now that I'm here. I did not come to maintain the traditions of the religious leaders. That's what Jesus is saying. I came to fulfill and complete the old covenant, not to add another law in the old covenant, not to make some incremental change to it. No, I've come to fulfill it. And I'm bringing something new. And so his entire ministry bears that out, doesn't it? But here he is at the beginning saying, hey, new wineskin needed here. Whole new garment is what's on, play, on display here. He's bringing something bigger. He's bringing something more powerful. A new covenant in his blood. That is the point of these parables. Now, there's a message for us here as we apply this to ourselves. And so let me get us to that by asking this question. What are you looking for? in your life. Particularly, what are you looking for spiritually? Here you are at a 930 worship service, and you must have some level of spiritual interest, all the way from a little bit to a lot, but what is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you're expecting? What is it that you're wanting from God? Many people are wanting too little from Jesus. Some people could be essentially saying this, Jesus, you know what I want from you? I just want you to give me a little patch for my life. I'm good. Just give me a little patch for my life. Or maybe you'd say it like this. You know, I just need you to add a little bit of your wine to my old wineskin. I don't want a big change in my life. I didn't come here for that. I just want a little, a little something from you. You know what Jesus would say to that? No. I'm not into doing little things in people's life. I'm not here to give you a little something here. I'm bringing you something entirely new. This is new wine that requires a new wineskin. A little patch won't do. You need a whole new garment. And so let's apply this to ourselves. A couple of points of application here. First of all, don't expect too little from Jesus. Don't expect too little from Jesus. Rather, expect Jesus to transform your entire life. 
So today you might recognize, I didn't even come here with that in my mind. I've never thought about Jesus changing everything about me, but that's indeed what Jesus is getting at here. He's coming to do something brand new. He is the living God. He's more powerful in you than, than wine in a wineskin. He is a God who would burst those small-minded religious ways that we might think that's what we want. For example, somebody might have the idea that, you know, really the, the ultimate of my spiritual experience is that I'm going to be one who goes to church. Can I tell you, going to church is a wonderful thing. It is an essential thing to do for believers. We are told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So going to church is wonderful. But that can't be the totality of what you think the Christian life is. Do you know what's even better than you going to church, as great as that is? You actually become a temple of the living God when you believe in Jesus. That's what the scripture says. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So you have the living God inside of you. Imagine all the changes he intends to make in you when you are a temple of his. And you're consuming the word of God. And I love how the word of God is described here. Listen to this in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, the discerning of thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So here's the living God in us. We're taking the active word of God into ourselves. God has big changes in mind for us. Don't merely look for a patch to your life when you think about Jesus. Don't think this way. I just, I'm just a little off and I just need a little of Jesus to help me out here. I just need a little help from him. No, the scripture says we need big help from him. We need life from him. We read about our sin problem in the scriptures throughout in places like Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. So we have a grave problem spiritually with our sin, and we need help with that. We, we are dead. So don't think that in Jesus, you're getting the equivalent of a spiritual multivitamin. Yeah, I, I need just a little boost. I need like a spiritual baby aspirin. And so I'm going to start going to church and exploring Jesus that he might do a little something for me. No, Jesus is not into that. Jesus calls salvation a new birth. Remember, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That is a huge change. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And here Jesus said, I'm not coming to bring you a mere patch. I'm bringing you a brand new garment. I'm not going to fit into the systems that you already established. We need a whole new garment. Remember, the scripture says that even our attempts at righteousness, they're like filthy rags. Oh, but we could, if we put our faith in Jesus, be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so here's one application. Don't expect too little from Jesus. Secondly, don't think that you can manage God in your life. Don't think that you can manage God in your life. Here's the parable of the new wineskin. Let's us know that there's a new power now within that supersedes and will spill over everything else that has come before. You and I, as we apply this to ourselves, our personal lives, we need to be like new, pliable, Jesus called fresh wineskins with the idea that we'll flex with whatever he desires to do in our lives. So understand, you cannot manage God. Understand, you cannot control God. To do so would bring damage to yourself as, as a, a rigid wineskin would just be burst if it foolishly tried to contain something it cannot contain. But don't we see in the Pharisees, Men who tried to do that repeatedly. We see in the Pharisees, here they are the ones asking the question, hey, why won't you fast and your disciples fast like we're doing here? But repeatedly, the Pharisees wanted to control Jesus. Hey, why don't you fit into our system? In fact, they would demand it. It's always shocking when you read it. 
that they would get mad at Jesus for things like this, for healing people on the Sabbath day. You know, it's shocking. I mean, you see, you just saw a miracle here. He just had compassion to help somebody, and they'd get mad about that. Hey, that's not how we do things. And they would get upset about that. I love how Jesus didn't play their game. He just continued to heal people on the Sabbath anytime he wanted to. He's God among them. But all of this, he would not just heal them, but then he'd say to some people who had faith, he'd say, hey, and your sins are forgiven. He said, I'm not worried about these Pharisees. I'm not going to play their small game. I'm here, God in the flesh. I can not only heal diseases, but I can forgive sins. And he just kept doing it. Here's, here's what we need to understand, that Jesus would not and could not be contained or controlled by mere men. And let's not try it ourselves. So Christian, throw off all limits that you might seek to put on Jesus in your life. What would that look like? Sometimes people do that. They think, I, listen, I want Jesus to save my soul forever. Of course, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll trust Jesus, but I will control the day-to-day -day operations of my life. Or maybe we say, well, let's say that blanket. Listen, I'll, I'll, I want Jesus to control and bless a, a large portion of my life, but I have some areas over here that I'm going to resist his leadership. I'm going to do my thing over here. Listen, that's not on the table here. We need to be fresh wineskins for him in our lives. You and I want to invite the Lord to do a fresh and total work in us every day. You and I should tell the Lord, Lord, I want you to be in me. I want to be full of you. I want to be flexible to you in everything. Lord, I want to yield all of my life over to you. So don't, don't try to limit the Lord in any way. Don't try to control him. In fact, don't do it in your traditions because this, again, is what the Pharisees would do. So don't think to yourself, well, I'm going to limit God to one day a week. I'm going to give him Sunday or I'm going to give him an hour on Sunday. And that's where he can do this powerful work in me. That would be thinking too small. That would be trying to control him. No, think about all of you. Your whole time and every relationship you have, all this belongs to the Lord. Jesus comes in as the new leader of your life. He brings in new values. He brings in fresh passion and a brand new purpose. In fact, maybe this week, think about rereading the Sermon on the Mount to see that, yeah, Jesus really did have a brand new, totally different way of looking at and living this life he's given to us. And so we turn everything over to him. But how about this? Another point of application would be this. Back to the idea of expecting big things from him. How about this? Expect big things from God when you meet with him. Here we're in the context of talking about spiritual disciplines. Here in this case, fasting. But, but I know a number of us are in the word of God daily. Some of you, maybe this is a new commitment. You're going to read the word daily through 2022 and you're in a new reading plan. That is wonderful. In fact, if you said, I didn't even think to do that and it's January 9th already, this is a perfect day to begin a plan to meet with the Lord through this year. But what I want to ask you is expect big things when you meet with God in the word every day. When you're praying, when you're reading the scripture, when you're fasting, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do that as well, expect big things. When you're reading the Bible this year, whatever reading plan you're doing, don't read merely as a historian. These things are historically true, but don't read as a historian where you go, hey, God used to do some amazing things. No, you're reading about and you're meeting with the living God who's still doing great things. And so when you meet with him in prayer, in the word, in times of fasting, lay yourself wide open before him. God, I want you to do a fresh work. I will not resist you in anything. This is your word. It's authoritative. I want to take it up and I want to follow it in the power of the spirit. I like what Chip told us last week when he preached to us. He said, in your study of the Bible, if it doesn't lead you to love God more and love others more, then you're missing the whole point. That's a great point. 
Let's expect big things when we meet with the Lord. So today, let's respond to this parable by responding to Jesus. Let's leave behind any sin that he's brought to mind in our lives that we might have him and more of him. Leave behind your old religion. Leave behind your old traditions. Don't merely ask for Jesus to be in your life. Tell Jesus, I want you to be my entire life. I realize that's what you're ushering in to me. In fact, that's how Paul looked at it. Paul said in Galatians 2, 19 and 20, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So today, put your faith in Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who was raised from the dead. Embrace the totally new life he wants to bring into your life and expect him to continue working in your life to make you radically new as he conforms you to the image of Christ. Pray with me.